I'm going to attempt to do one of those things that Lily always says, you know, you could do that and go forever. And uh, I've got one verse of Scripture this morning. But it's pretty deep. And it's actually just going to be one verse out of one book, and, and we're going to be touching on the rest of that book. Uh, but it's a really small book, and it's going to be Obadiah, verse 21. Obadiah, verse 21, that's where I'm going to take our thought this morning. And, you know, as we do, as we turn over there to find that book, because I'm going to give a little deference to those looking in, uh, in Scripture verses on a, on a phone or an iPad, because you're you're talking about twenty, you know, a, a book that's only twenty one verses long in the back of in the back of the Old Testament. So sometimes it's not one we use a lot. Um, but uh, but Obadiah is is really it's an important book because it's going to explore the relationship between the saved and the unsaved, and it's going to do so in the in in the personage of two different people. Uh, Jacob and Esau. And so we're going to use the 21st verse out of the book of Obadiah today. Obadiah 21, And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And that's what we'd like to use as a thought this morning. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And... You know, this is this is something that we we look at this relationship between Israel and Edom. You can always look at this relationship between Israel and Edom and say this is a specific book and it's arguing about a specific relationship specifically between two countries. But it gets extrapolated out much more broadly than that, doesn't it? And that's what we'd like to try to look at this morning for just a little while. If we look back up in the beginning of the book of Obadiah, uh, you can read how uh, God is, 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 is looking at the, the, the nation of Edom, and, and that's who the vision of Obadiah is towards. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up, and go against against her in battle. And so he, Obadiah is prophesying really of the destruction of Edom. And, you know, he, he addresses them using this word in, in, this, in, in the King James, and it's the word uh, heathen. Now, the word that's translated there from the Hebrew is goy, or in the plural, it would be goyim, and the, and the Hebrews still look at the nations today, and they will use that word, and they'll say the goyim. Um, and so he's talking about the nations, and, and Edom is really, is, is really getting extrapolated out, and we're going to see this play out here for just a little bit. But look at the state that they lied in, the nation of Edom. Uh, and Edom was, uh, that's the descendants of Esau, uh, of course, Esau being Jacob's brother, uh, his older brother, his older twin. But uh, we look here, and, and in the third verse, Obadiah lays out the root of the problem as it pertains to Edom and to the descendants of Esau. And he says that the, that pr the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. 
And that's where we, that's, that's, that's what we often experience when we're wrapped up in pride. We can't see the, the real faults with our own selves. And Edom was the same way. They were wrapped up in pride. They thought they were better than, uh, than the Israelites. They thought they were better than the descendants of Jacob. And uh, they looked at their pl- the place that they lived. And, of course, they lived in Mount Seir. And so they lived in a very high altitude. Uh, and it says, Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rocks, who have, whose habitation is high, and saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? So where they lived at really was a microcosm uh, or, or, an ex- or an explanation of how they felt about themselves spiritually, wouldn't it? They thought they were really better than everybody else. And and, uh, and so they said, who's going to bring me down to the ground? They didn't believe anybody could bring them down to the ground. And you may be here today and you may think that life's the berries and that you're everything that the uh, that, that is good in life. And, and if you are, I'll tell you that's a dangerous place to be because the Bible tells us that a, uh, that a haughty spirit is what comes right before the fall, isn't it? And uh, and that's what Edom's going to experience. And, and Obadiah continues on laying out kind of their spiritual disposition of Edom. Uh, and he says, uh, in the fourth verse, he says, Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle. You know, the Bible tells us it's better to remain in the lower chamber, isn't it? And to be elevated to the upper chamber than it is to desire to be in the upper chamber and be placed back down into the lower chamber to experience that fall. It's better to be humble, isn't it, <laughs> and walk with the Lord than it is to think ourselves something great or some big, some some great thing, and to find ourselves uh, come up lacking uh, in our own sight. But that's where they were at. He says, "Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle." And though thou set thy nest among the stars, and this is where they really viewed themselves and how they viewed themselves. Obadiah says this, and it's actually not Obadiah speaking. This is under the divine inspiration of the Spirit. It says, Thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. The Lord always brings us down when we're flying too high, doesn't he? But this is a specific relationship that we're looking at. And, and Edom is really a, 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 really going to get extrapolated out as not just this one nation, but it's actually representative of all the enemies of the Lord. And I'm going to try, I'm going to, I'm going to prove that, or at least I want to attempt to prove that. And so the question here today is, is where do you, where, where do you stand? <laughs> Are you are you part of the Lord's family, or or would you be included in with the world? <laughs> because that's really who Edom is 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 emblematic of. Would be what we would call the world. Those that walk the broad and the easy path, whose whose end is destruction, whose gate is wide, and not walk the narrow and the straight path. Whose gate is which? Which gate is straight and and narrow the way toward getting into heaven? And so here he says, uh, he says, the Lord says, I will bring you down. And it, then he uses this example here in this fifth verse. He says, if thieves come to thee, if robbers by night, and then it says, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? 
And the implication here is they're going to leave something behind, aren't they? And then he goes on to expound that even more. He says, if the great gatherers come into, into Edom, he says, you know, also will they not leave some grapes, right? Will there not be some gleanings left if they come? Of course, there were always gleanings. In the law, they had a rule, didn't they, about the gleanings. And they weren't to go back and glean the fields. The gleanings in the corners of the fields were left for the poor, weren't they? But the poor had to go and collect them themselves, didn't they? So he says, you'd be better off if, if the, the robbers came or if the grape gatherers came because in either one of those instances, there would be something left over for you. There's not going to be anything left over for you because the kingdom is the Lord's. Now, what was the fault? Now, we talked about the spiritual disposition, but what was really the offense? Well, Obadiah lays out the offense, doesn't he? And we're just, I'm going to paraphrase. I'm not going to read all of the offenses that they had committed. And this is, he's talking about specifically in the day of the calamity of Judah, isn't he? He's talking about in the day that that Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon rolled into Jerusalem and carried uh, the Israelites and the Jews then uh, away captive into Babylon. He's going to talk about, well, what were you doing, Edom, when this was happening? And you're going to see that the argument that that is laid out uh, against Edom uh, is going to correlate with somebody else uh, that, we, you know, that we're familiar with in Scripture. He says, for the violence of thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. Now, why is that? He says yes, in the 11th verse, he says, because in the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and the foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. In other words, they were consenting, weren't they? They enjoyed, they found joy in the destruction that... Jerusalem was facing in the day that Babylon came in and carried them away. And you can see this exemplified even more and even greater if we look in the 137th division of the Psalms, uh, right? And we're going to start in the third verse. And here you have the psalmist writing. It says, for there uh, they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, sing us one of the one of the songs of Zion. And then this question gets asked, and this question is really, really a big question. And then this question in the fourth verse says, but how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? For those of us that are living today, we probably look around the world that we find ourselves in and we say, this is a strange land that we find ourselves in. don't we? The things that we remember are no more, are they? 
that that tight knit makeup that we used to have in our churches, uh, we say, well, where is that gone? And, and it and it that gets extrapolated out even further from there, doesn't it? It goes out beyond that. It goes to family. It goes to the cities. It goes to the towns. It goes to the, the, the just the general area and really the nation itself. You, you see that fracturing, don't you? When everything you know and you love has been torn away and you find yourself in a place that you don't even really recognize anymore. And that's where they were at. They were there in Babylon by the river. And they said, sing us one of the old songs of Zion. And they said, but how can we sing praises? Or how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You know, that's where we got to find, that's what we got to figure out, isn't it? <laughs> because we got to find a place to where we can worship the Lord in joy, don't we? Uh, and bad things happen. But we've got to find a way where we can worship the Lord in joy, even in a strange land. And you say, well, how does this tie in with Babylon or with, with Edom? In the seventh verse, the psalmist writes, Remember, O Lord. Don't forget, Lord. Don't forget the offenses of our brethren. And they were their brethren naturally. They weren't their brethren spiritually, meaning the Edomites in the in the in the and the Israelites, they were naturally brethren, meaning they were family, kindred family. But you know what? Spiritually, they were different countries, weren't they? And they were not even rem remotely related spiritually. <coughs> Psalmist writes in the seventh verse, he says, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem. And that is the day of the destruction of Jerusalem, isn't it? And what were they saying? And the, and the psalmist re, uh, rehearses it and they says, Raise it, raise it even to the foundation thereof. And so you can see that the enemies of the Lord, they find joy in the destruction of their enemies, don't they? Well, there's a reason when Jesus was in the world, he said, pray for your enemies. <laughs> pray for them that would spitefully use you. And, and do not reciprocate to them, right? Because why? Because that's the broad, easy way, isn't it? Well, it is easy to walk that road. Boy, it is hard when you find yourself in the position that the Jews are in in Babylon, then they have to, and they get the request, well, sing one of the old songs of Zion. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you what they couldn't see, is they couldn't see that God's holy hill of Zion is not located in one place, is it? Boy, it is wherever... God's people is found. You can ascend the holy hill of faith wherever you find God's people. Wherever they're assembled together, if it's just two or three of them and the Lord is present there, I'll tell you right now, you can climb God's holy hill of faith. But you can't climb it by sight. 
You can only climb it by faith. And so Edom was advocating, raise it, raise it, tear it to the ground. Not only that, but they took part in it. And so we'll, we'll, we'll look, look, we'll look on from there and we'll look at this. He said, thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Oh, don't find joy in the misery of others. <laughs> That's what the world does, doesn't it? It finds joy in the misery of others. You know, it's a lot easier to tear down than it is to build up. <laughs> And those that would walk that wide and easy path, instead of looking to build themselves up on the faith of God, it's a lot easier for them to look sometimes and say, I'd rather it get torn down. There's a lot of people in the country we live in today who's advocating for tearing everything down. You better know who it is that you're listening to and what they're advocating and where it originates. Because they may say it's originating with the Lord, but it may not have anything to do with the Lord. Then again, it may be originating from somebody who has no knowledge of the Lord, but it's coming from the Lord. And you say, well, yeah, there's not an example of that happening. Of course there is. Go and read about Balaam. The Spirit of the Lord interceded in the case of Balaam, and we read about this relationship between Edom and Israel, between Esau and Jacob. Numbers 24, starting in verse 15, it says this, it says, But he took up a parable, and he said, Balaam, the son of, Be uh, uh, the son of Beor, hath said, and the man whose eyes who are open hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of God, and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth, or, Sh or Sheth, and Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Uh, and that wasn't going to happen under any leader, was it? That was going to happen only under the leadership of one, and that was the Messiah. Um, and the kingly Messiah, and that was going to be under Christ. And so we see here that that happened. And that was the promise that was given. And that's why we started in that 21st verse of Obadiah, that even though they got to witness the destruction of Israel in the day of Babylon, he said, but still yet, saviors shall come upon Mount Zion. And that word that's translated as saviors can also be seen as deliverers. And I'll tell you right now, there was a deliverer that treaded upon Mount Zion. That was the greatest deliverer that the world ever knew. He could not only just deliver you temporally, he could deliver you in your soul too, couldn't he? He's the only one that ever could do it. 
Now, Paul referenced this verse of Scripture. He referenced this when he says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. But you have to remember, Esau was his brother. So what does it mean when it says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated? It's very analogous, actually, to the relationship between Cain and Abel. And you say, well, how is that? Well, what does the Bible tell us about the relationship with Cain and Abel? Oh, well, Cain offered an offering of the firstlings of the fox and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. Uh, That is, the Lord accepted it, didn't he? What about Cain's offering? Cain's offering was brought forth from the fruit of the ground. It was a bloodless sacrifice. And what does the, what does the Bible say about it? But unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect. What does that mean? He had no respect of Cain's offering. He ignored it, didn't he? I tell you what, if something doesn't measure up to the expectations and the standards that's set forth, then you just ignore it, don't you? I think sometimes we believe that God... Now, God had that conversation with Cain later because Cain was angry. And God said, well, if you offer an offering that's acceptable, will it not be accepted? And I'm paraphrasing this. And Cain is so lost in his wrath and his anger that he doesn't care what the Lord has to say at that point. And the relationship between Jacob and Esau and the Edomites and Israel was very much the same. One offered an offering, had an offering that was acceptable unto God. And if you're here today and you've been saved, that one offering was the the only begotten Son of God, wasn't it? That's the only offering that's acceptable in the world today for the atonement of sin. Nothing else compares. Everything else falls short. That's why this idea and this notion that they're they're going to reconstitute sacrifice in Jerusalem uh, for the atonement of sins, it's folly. Why? Because God has already offered the perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're lost, God made a way whereby you could be saved. He made a way whereby the destruction that awaits the world, the destruction that awaits Edom could be escaped, didn't he? He made a way so that you wouldn't have to take part in it. Notice the judgment that Edom was passing down. Edom reveled, didn't they, in the destruction of Israel, in the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, and Judah specifically. And remember, that's the context for Matthew 7 too. For with what judgment ye judge, uh, ye shall be judged, right? Uh, Whatever standard that you apply to others, that standard will be applied to yourself. And it was applied to Edom, Tenfold. (laughs) 
Because Jerusalem had the promise of a Savior coming, didn't they? And Edom has no such promise. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Well, it's, it's easy to scratch that itch, but it's hard to walk with the Lord and accept it, isn't it? Paul even had to instruct the churches on how to make that walk. Suffer yourselves not to be defrauded. Uh, allow, your, allow, wrong to, allow the wrong to happen. If you bear it patiently, don't you know you have a reward? Well, the enemies of the Lord, when they are wrong, they seek vengeance, don't they? Why does the heathen rage? Why do the heathen rage? Because that's all they've got. They got nothing else to look forward to. If you're here today and you're lost and you've never known the saving power of God, God's got an inheritance laid up for an eternity, doesn't he? You get into what Esau really wanted. Esau was all about the here and the now, wasn't he? With his birthright, he said, what good is it to me? I'll sell it to you for a little portion of meat. For just a morsel of meat. Esau's God was his belly, wasn't it? At that moment in time. And that's what you see with those that are the enemies of the Lord. They, they don't see beyond the context of this world. But I'm going to tell you what Obadiah, what Obadiah says. Obadiah wrote this, writes this in the 17th verse. You want to talk about the inheritance that God has, has laid up? Um, and, and then we'll look at the 17th verse. He says, but upon Mount Zion will be deliverance. And I'll tell you right now, uh, there is one that sits at the head of Mount Zion today, and he can deliver you from every trouble that you have in this world. Now, I'm going to say this. It's not that you won't experience trouble anymore, but I'll tell you what, you'll be able to bear it. <laughs> you'll be able to endure it uh, because you are not going to be looking at what's happening in this life only, but you'll be looking at what's coming in eternity where he dwells. I tell you what, I look forward to the day when we can stand in eternity by the river that it flows from the, that proceeds forth from the throne of God, clear as crystal. And we can stand on the banks of that river and say, we're finally in a home. We're finally in a land where we feel at home. And we can stand on the banks of that river and we can sing songs of Zion that we've never even comprehended in this world. See, the world stands condemned, doesn't it? And if you're here today and you're lost, that's, this is what I want you to understand. Why do I need to be saved? Because I'm already condemned. Why do I need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because God 
sin him first and foremost motivated out of his love for his creation, for God so loved the world, right? John 3.16, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And let's remember, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world because of why? Because the world is already condemned. And I want you to know this, that, that one way or another, everybody's going to have the same king in the end, aren't they? Everybody's going to have the same king. It doesn't matter whether you want to or not. It's already written down and settled in heaven that everybody's going to have the same king. We see this written in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in the heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. It's settled, folks. It is going to happen. Uh, God, God is the... Jesus is the king of the world. He is the king of kings, isn't he? The Lord of lords and the king of kings. And he says the kingdoms of this world, uh, those are the same kingdoms, by the way, that Satan offered Jesus Christ if he would fall down and worship him. He said, I'll give you these kingdoms of this world. And Jesus already owns them, doesn't he? Uh, And here in the 11th verse, the angel sounds the trumpet and then makes the proclamation that the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord uh, and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. God took the fight to the stronghold of Satan and overcame them one by one uh, and, uh, and and so here we see in this final battle uh, that, uh, that it is proclaimed that Jesus is king over all the kingdoms of the world. He's the king of kings, isn't he? He's the king of kings that sacrificed himself so that every peasant in that kingdom could be uh, saved and be a member of it. Because it's not going to be the same, is it, as it is in this world. Obadiah said that it's not going to be the same, but he said this. He said those of Israel are going to inherit two kingdoms, aren't they? The present one and the one to come. In the 18th verse of Obadiah, he says, And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining in the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. Well, you find yourself standing on the wrong side of the Lord you're going to hear the most frightening words that will ever be uttered in the history of humanity, won't you, at the great throne of judgment. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Depart from me, why? Because I never knew you. Well, you better know the Lord before it's too late. There's a short period of time. The Bible tells us that life, that this present life that we live is a vapor. It's not like a vapor. It is a vapor. It appeareth for a little while. And then afterwards, it vanishes away, doesn't it? It's like the fog in the morning. (laughs) It can be really thick sometimes when you first wake up, but eventually the sun burns it away, doesn't it? That's what your life is like. That's what your life is like. 
Because I want to close with this. I want to close with this thought. For those of us that are saved, and that you may be here today and not saved, I want you to understand this is to you as well. And Paul writing in the book of Philippians, and we were talking about the book of Philippians this morning. Uh, Paul writing in the book of Philippians says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not to be, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Well, why was that? Because he was God, wasn't he? He was a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God, uh, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him put took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself. See the difference? Jesus humbled himself, didn't he? Just by being born into this world in the way that he was born. He didn't come into this world as the king of kings. He came into this world in poverty and a servant. But he humbled himself and and then, then he humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even the death of the cross, Paul writes. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him See, this is the this is the correct relationship between that exaltation that man desires, uh, which really only comes about in humble service, in humble service to the Lord. At that, but God hath highly exalted Him. He's highly exalted Jesus, the only deliverer that there is for the world. There is no other way. There is no other name given among them among the among there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the way. That's why he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Paul goes on. And he says that God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so you're going to bow before the King one day. Whether you're saved or whether you're unsaved, the only question is, when you bow before the king, how are you going to be received? (laughs) Actually, that question is not how you're going to be received. Are you going to be received? (laughs) Because if you don't know him, you won't be received into everlasting habitations, will you? But you'll be on the left hand with those who already know their fate where there's great weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, and hear that horrible sentence, that avoidable sentence. That's what I really want to point out. Edom is set for destruction, isn't it? Christ has made a way whereby you can avoid the wrath of God. Why? Because Jesus already paid the price. He already experienced the unmitigated wrath from the cup of God so that you could be saved. If you're here today and you're lost, seek the Lord for the salvation of your soul while we have time. The world's going to fade away, isn't it? Just like a vapor, the world will end. The only thing that will be left will be the Lord 
and his people in in a, in, a, in, a, in a land that he has gone to prepare for them. Well, if you're here today and you're saved, you've got, a, you've got a, a tremendous inheritance to look forward to, don't you? Well, let's look forward with great faith and anticipation of what the Lord has done for us and what He is doing for us and what He will do for us. I'm looking forward to that day when we stand by the river and we can finally say, well, I feel at home here. I feel at home. That's our, that's our message this morning. I pray that you'll get a blessing out of it. If you're here today and you're lost, we pray that you'll seek the Lord for the salvation of your soul. Brother Williams, if you've got a song.